0: And my guest today is May Wa Gong. Now, May, I've known for many years, and she is um, formerly Young Citizen of the Year. She has now graduated with a double degree in law and science. And May um, and I. Have had history because I met her in the library and subsequently she um, presented HSC seminars at the library. She did like a series of peer mentoring and you know, significantly, May's really academically so rigorous. She was able to, I think, you know, present English programs for HSC students physics and chemistry, and I think it really speaks to her sense of altruism and, you know, her values. So I really treasure her as a good friend, and I hope I'm kind of a mentor. So may welcome this morning. Um, I know I um, wanted to invite you because, you know, I've found you such an interesting young person. Um, in, you know, in, a, in the library and, you know, in my own life. So I wanted to ask you a bit about what you read and, you know, your view of the world. So I know I've prepared these questions. And um, we might get started with a little bit of background. That sounds great. Great. So, mate, given that your family emigrated to Australia when you were nine, um, did you read as a little girl? What did you read? Do you remember?
1: Um. So, thanks, Catherine. Um, You're definitely a mentor. I'm so grateful to have met you in the library. I really treasure our friendship and mentorship for all these years. And Thank you for inviting me to be a guest on Parapods. Um, regarding your question, I definitely did read as a little girl. Um, I think I started reading as little as well as like two or three because I think my mum really nurtured that love of reading in me as a way to expand my knowledge around the world and become like I guess more um, better communication. So I think one of the first books I read was a Chinese book. Um, It was somewhere along the lines of a thousand questions about the world, like the why and the how. It answered like questions that I had about the world but also evoked more curiosity. I think when I came to Australia, I think I read, um, so when I was in uh, primary school, you used to get those magazines, like Coles and Woolworths magazine, but those magazines were for book club subscription. And so I used to love to um, sort of subscribe to books that looked pretty like the rainbow fairies. Um, and whenever I got it, it was like a Christmas present. So I read those books. Um, but I also my parents enrolled me in this touring place where they had a very unique literacy program where to improve the students' literacy they were um, prescribed classics books for students to read so through mm-hmm. there I was exposed to classics like Charles Dickens' The Great Expectation, A Tale of Two Cities, Nathaniel Hawthorne's A Scarlet Letter, um, Jews vans Around the World in 80 Days and that was a very eye-opening experience to I guess the diversity of literature from like I guess children's books to like the all the way to like really complex classics exploring mm-hmm. um, you know 18th, 19th century worlds.
0: Mm. So how old were you when you were reading those classics make. I was
1: actually only like yeah four because like their program was for like like students of all ages so mm-hmm. I found it to be really difficult I was just chucked into the di- end and I think I really want to give up um many many times but I thought that you know I should persevere because it you know they do talk about very interesting themes, and you know if it takes me you know twice to understand twice the amount of time to understand what it's saying, I think it's worthwhile. Because mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of the times these classics have been forgotten in like sort of like the modern mm-hmm. life. We want like a quick, easy read and mm-hmm. we often, you know, neglect sort of those very classical explorations of say, like the struggles of women to, you know, climb up to society, mm-hmm. um, the struggle for financial security, you know, um, the conflict between like marrying for love and marrying for like status in society, which I found to be pretty,
0: Yeah, that certainly still resonates today because, you know, Jane Austen, for example, um, Pride and Prejudice is still a classic and people love to read it. Mm, There's been so many movie versions. So yeah, I take your point. So, um, may did reading help you cope with arriving in a new country?
1: Um, I think it definitely did. I remember in year three, I was asked to do this exercise where I had to describe my best friend um, in English, it was a very simple exercise, you know. Um, if I were to do it now, I would simply go, you know, my friend is, say, Sally, um, she has long hair. Uh, we play together at lunch times and we share stories about our day. But at the time, I found even those simple description to be so difficult that I actually cried because I could only complete an exercise in Chinese and not English. And so that experience really motivated me to learn a lot more about English and to keep like to get up to speed with like my peers and also to excel amongst them. And so I would start borrowing books, you know, subscribe to the book club, read those classics, you know, borrow books from like my school library and my local library as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And for every book that i read, I would quote down like the book that I've read and also write down every single word that I didn't understand. And then later on, find the Chinese meaning for those words and then compile like vocabulary list. So example, I would say like, remember or understand 20 words a day um and then try to use them in my sentences in like essays of like creative writing and that also of how i expand the vocabulary i think later on it gave me um a lot more confidence when i started doing like public speaking in primary school and in the high school so i think it was really pivotal like reading was pivotal to me navigating this new like world and also um to be more confident in the language itself
0: mm. Yeah, and um, I mean obviously um, those um, scholastic books I remember from (laughs) my kids also and the sort of books you described with the the little fairies. So I mean you were very much a little girl but you know you had this enormous task. You had to catch up. um, You know, you you kind of just took it on with such gusto. I've got so much admiration for you, my dear. May, I met you when you were studying for your HSC exams, and um, you know you were always you always in our library looking to see what we had, which I'm happy to say we do have a lot of good resources here at City of Parramatta. But um, and I know that you were really, you know, you really enjoyed English, and I wanted to ask you because you know I often buy those texts. Did any of those texts really resonate with you and stay with you? Or were they more just, you know, an exercise in in an intellectual way? Did they teach you anything at that time? Because you would have only been about 17 or 18.
1: Um, That's actually a very good question because um, there's always this debate whether you know there's any value to HSE English because a lot of people may just be playing the game you know just understand the text you know do the essays do the questions get a good mark and then forget about it you know in a uni degree unless of course like they decide to study English in the uni or, or engage in further tertiary studies way to language um for me I think to like some English texts have stuck with me to say. So one is Peter Shinesky's um, poems on like migration. Mm-hmm. Because at the time I was doing my HSC, I was around like 17. And by that time, I had spent roughly half of my time in Australia and half of my life in um, China. And so I was sort of at the midpoint where I felt really conflicted um, which culture I really belong in. Like, do I identify more as Australian, do I identify more as a Chinese, or am I really just like a Chinese Australian sort of thing? Um, So I think that his poems sort of speak to my struggle. I think that they don't necessarily answer to my question of what my cultural identity was at the time, but I think they certainly normalized my struggle to to think, know that like, I'm not alone in this, like other people have shared a struggle and have also thought about the same thing. Um, And I think, A few other texts that have stuck in me is when I was studying for English Extension 1, we did an era of study called After the Bomb. So it was essentially about the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945 Mm. um, in Japan, which many people believe that that was, that catalyzed the end of World War II. And so texts I remember is like, Waiting for Godot, um, the Spike" who came from the cold and Mm. Catch-22. I think those texts really changed how I looked about life because Um, after the bomb um, so people's lives can be destroyed at one second by just atomic bomb you know they had no choice when the bomb will be dropped or whether it will be dropped you know and so I think it really speaks to sort of the infernal nature of life how quickly you know life can sort of change in one instant you know how quickly you know we can die in one instant you know and so it made me value my life a lot more. Very appreciative of sort of like the peaceful nature of the society that I get to live in, and sort of mm-hmm. the new beginning that I had to come to Australia and start a new life here. So I think it made me like study harder and treasure the moments even more, um, because you know the people that got bombed in Japan didn't get the chance to treasure those moments mm-hmm. um, because they were stuck. I think the bomb. Fell in the morning when, like most people, were asleep. So they never had the chance, you know, to say goodbyes or you know to plan out their last moments. So I think yeah. that was a great contrast to sort of the peaceful life that we we have now and that we yeah. should treasure.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, you know, some of the uh, poignant uh, writing that's come out of that, uh, in a period, like Sadako's a Thousand Cranes. Yeah. Sort of. really makes me feel so, so emotional. But anyway, (laughs) but yeah, I I really do see where you're coming from and you know, that that was great that it taught you that. Um, May, you now have graduated with a double degree in law and science and what have these years of study taught you? Um, I know you mentioned a couple of books that you'd sort of read during that period. Maybe you could tell us a bit about those
1: um so i think one well, i think there's been many lessons that i've learned over my five-year degree um in law and science um but i'll just share few. Mm-hmm. i think the first lesson is to take initiative because unlike in high school where you might have like a friends group you know there's like set class times you know teachers would go your homework is due on x y day and they will actually check in uni it really is up to you like no teacher is going to check whether you attend class or not like you can risk failing and not attend class um you know no teacher is going to go oh please introduce yourself to the person next to you and make a friend you know and so when my friends or my high school friends all went to different unis, I was sort of like, I really need to make friends, you know, I really need to get out there, you know, get out of my shell. And so one book that I think really helped with that transition is um, Del Carnegie's How Do We Friends and Influence People? So I actually read that right before I came into uni because I was very anxious about making new friends and you know, um, being in, like a really big world because uni is a like the class size is a lot bigger than like say high school. Like high school might be thirty people, but uni in a lecture hall you might be in a lecture hall with like a few hundred people at a time, mm. and so it can feel a bit like you're like so sort of, like this anonymous entity. Um, and you're willing to get out there um, to meet people. So so from that book, I think I learned to just say hi to uh, everyone in my class. You know, it could be as simple as, you know, hi, my name's May, you know, what's yours? Um, or you can think of more creative openings than that. Um, Although, you know, not every time it worked, but I think the times it worked, it really helped me to find very important people in my life. The second lesson I've learned is that somewhat counterintuitively, perhaps, that there is really more to studying than just studying. Um, Because all the way up to, you know, uni, um, I've sort of like been burdened by this sense that, you know, my parents have sacrificed so much for me to be here. And so I need to repay them by, you know, having really good academic results, by excelling in what I do by getting into like, you know, a really good degree and, and the degree that I am loving actually um, in uni. But when you get to uni and, you know, when you achieve that destination, it's time to really think now, what do I do next, you know? And I think that I've come to realize that, yes, you can spend 24 seven to study and come first in subjects and, and whatnot. And there are people who can study and do all that um, with other things as well, but I've realized that For me, personally, I think it's more important to use your spare time to study as well, but also to really connect with, say, like your friendships, you know, to make the effort to meet up with people and know what's going on in their life, you know. Sometimes a simple, how are you, can with you like, you know, um, perhaps you know sad things has been going on in their life that they haven't had the courage to tell you over say Facebook or text message and, and that's when you, you know you can lend a helping hand and sort of bond closer as well you know um, things like you know going out and find mentors so I was very lucky to meet Catherine as a mentor in my HSE period and also end up finding say law mentors and also relationships you know whether it's like with your family um, with your friends or even like if you're lucky enough you know with your significant other because I think those relationships really um sort of becomes a rock for you essentially when you're like in very difficult times in your life you mm-hmm. know um and i think that they become sort of like the rock that stabilizes you when everything is changing around you mm-hmm. so i think it's very important to do things other than just studying um, i think the last lesson is somewhat uh, interesting it was like a law lecturer told me a second yeah you know just keep reading you Do like you do better when you keep reading. Um, I didn't believe it because in law, the reading is very different from, say, normal fiction. Because in law, judges might say in 50 pages what can easily be said in one sentence, and so it's also very hard to understand what they're saying unless you find that golden sentence. But I think that. I persevered I kept reading, you know, the same text, you know, two times, five times. And I think eventually you do get better, you know, uh, as unbelievable as that sounds, you know, if you just need to persevere, I think that can apply to everything in your life Mm -hmm. is that everything that's worthwhile like achieving for takes time. And like in a society where, you know, we expect everything to happen instantly, you know, technology, social media, all that. I think we need to learn to have patience to work in a craft, whether it's reading, whether it's, you know, drawing, whatever it is that you're passionate in, because, you know, over a long period of time, you will see the result, you will see, sort of like the result of the many hours that you've put behind, but you need to put those hours first before you can go, you know, maybe this is not working, I should move on to something else or, you know, um, this is, you know, the result of what I've been working in. So I think patience is also very important as well.
0: Mm. Thank you, May. Um, Lastly, um, I really wanted to just ask you about reading in general. Um, So, What have you read that has brought you wisdom, solace, and pleasure? And, of course, there may be just a few books that really stand out, or, you know, there may be just many. I'd really love to know, kind of in that kind of order. And, you know, also just some books that made you kind of laugh. And (laughs) because, you know, we've got to appreciate the light side of life.
1: Yeah, definitely. Wisdom Rise, um, definitely the book that I mentioned previously about Dale Carnegie's, how to read friends and influence people. Um, but I've also read. Um, I find that the biographies of people to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So whether yeah. it's like, um, I think the one that I read a while ago was Steve Jobs' um, biography because uh, you know Steve Jobs is sort of like a very complicated character you know mm-hmm. he has this sort of like genius you know to come up with you know a revolution in life of apple products but at the same time he has had very difficult sort of family relationships and mm-hmm. you see sort of like the struggle um of like sort of like a genius of maintaining creativity but at the same time struggling with like relationships private life. so i find that to be really fascinating mm-hmm. because often you might necessarily think that um, someone who has everything is actually also struggling the same way that you may be as a common people so like regardless of whether you're rich or poor everyone sort of shares the same struggle so I find that mm-hmm. to be really illuminating and helps me to appreciate what I have in life um, as sort of like not like the struggles I have as is, is not unique. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of pleasure uh, also reason would definitely be Arana Huffington's Thrive so that was a book really made me think about what happens after uni, you know, what do I want for my career, um, you know, because she wrote the book after she had a burnout from um, her work as a co-editor of, um, I think she was the founder of the New York uh, Times?
0: Huffington Post? Huffington
1: Post, yeah, Huffington Post. Huffington yeah. Post. Um, And she had a collapse on her job. It really made me Mm. think, you know, I don't want to have a collapse before I realize, you know, my job is not fulfilling or before I realize that I actually really want to do something, but I didn't actually end up doing it. And so it really makes me think, you know, what do I really want from, say, my legal career or, you know, just like what I want from my career in general, you know. And I realized that climbing, you know, the corporate ladder or, you know, um, climbing my career is very important to me. But I think I really want to maintain my family and friendships along the way so i think they are equally important to me i Mm. wouldn't say that i would not say my career will be more important than my family i would say they will be equally important to me Mm. you have to nurture both because they're sort of self-feeding like i think having good relationships outside of work helps you to focus during work and being able to excel in work also helps you to you know put in more time um, Mm. to devote your relationships if you're efficient um, and effective with your work in terms of solace i would say two recent books come to mind um georgia blaine's a museum of words um so she wrote this book um in the year before she knows that she was going to die mm-hmm. from stage four brain cancer and it was a very touching book um to sort of understand sort of like her life you know um sort of this beautiful sort of interweaving stories about language because her husband was a filmmaker her Young daughter has an aspiration to be a journalist or author. Mm. Her mother was an author herself, um, and their mutual friend was actually her mentor, um, who was also an author and who unfortunately died from that was
0: Rosie. um,
1: Rosie Scott. Scott. Yeah,
0: I love her books.
1: Yeah, so I think that was so. It was sort of like very poignant how you know, 117 pages, you know, 120 pages, Mm. um, really captures sort of the sort of how important language is and what you convey when you know every day you're losing words you're losing your capacity to create you know and i found that to be really touching Mm
0: -hmm. um me too i I read also read it i loved it
1: yeah it was also so that was very touching because i just picked it up from a bookshelf it was like what's this book going to be about Mm Um, And I think the other book that uh, kept me awake yesterday night was actually Suki Kim's Without You, There's No Us. Mm -hmm. So this book was essentially about her experience um, around 2011 where she went to, uh, she wrote this, uh, she went to North Korea um, to basically teach the elite uh, of North Korea. So she was teaching like, you know, the boys from like really rich family, um, and she ended up, you know, teaching the people who actually was monitoring her as well, and so it captures. I haven't finished the book yet, but I think so far it captures her sense of helplessness and hopefulness. So. She, the sense of helplessness in the sense that she's not able to tell the youth that she's teaching that there's actually a bigger well out there so in their eyes north korea is the best in everything mm-hmm. and their view of the world is very limited to you know what their leader indoctrinate in them it's a it's a bit like a big brother situation um but in real life um mm-hmm. so there's a great sense of helplessness because she can't tell them that there is you know a bigger world you know get out of here because they can't get out without risking being executed and she can't tell them without risking herself getting deported or executed even worse mm. but there's also like a hopefulness in the sense that at the same time there is sparkles of hope where you know some youth are like do question that maybe there is a bigger world out there you know they don't necessarily take everything that's taught to them um as it is and also that you know you can share the simple pleasures even if you're in a very restricted nation so she talks about fond memories of you know playing sports you know fond memories of you know students waving her goodbye you know when she's leaving north korea asking you know when are you coming back you know so those are moments that i guess and connecting regardless of which country you are and really humanizes North Korea as a country because it's so mysterious um and you know that is it's often sort of betrayed in sort of this power struggle you know um you know between U.S. and North Korea and like you know China and and Mm -hmm. I think that you know when you strip it's away from like the political arena you really see the human side that you know Mm. that there are people in there that's like us and we don't need to dehumanize the country too much Mm. um but we're also getting a greater appreciation of like the struggle for like reunification of korea whether that's just like a dream or whether that's a possibility so i Mm. find that to be really fascinating
0: Mm. um oh excellent choice that really speaks to our humanity and commonality um you know, and, uh, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Um, hey, this is our final question. Um, why do you love libraries?
1: Uh, I think I love libraries. I think the first reason is very obvious because libraries is the place I met you, uh, one of the most important people in my life. Um, so I'm very grateful that you. You know, the library offered me a arena to to you know meet like a very important mentor in my life. So I'm always grateful for that. Um, I think a second reason is libraries are places that, you know, sort of inspire curiosity but also answers them at the same time and I find that to be like a really cool Thing to do and i think that you know libraries these days are so versatile it's not just you know they're not like we repos- not just repository of knowledge they also allow you to spread knowledge as well so like mm-hmm. i think at paramount library you know we have programs for senior people we have programs for you know people that recently came to australia we, we have people programs for people that you know want to learn more english you know um hsc um you know programs and whatnot and i think that for me I think library in a way levels a playing field. It allows people, you know, who may come from, you know, disadvantaged background to have access to knowledge, you know, for free or mm. for a very, you know, low subsidized price. And I think that's a very valuable thing to have. Mm. Um so so yeah, so I think I love library for those
0: reasons. Yeah, I think libraries are really community hubs these days, apart from just having, you know, collections. may. Thank you. It's been wonderful having you here today um, and talking to you. And, of course, we wish you all the very best in your future, which I'm sure is going to be very illustrious. Thank you, May.
1: Thank you so much, Catherine, for having me. The material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of City of Parramatta Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.